Money Show. Personal Finance with Warren Ingram. There was a guy, a famous investment guy in the 1920s who went to, there's a very famous dock in New York City where all of the stockbrokers either still do or used to harbor their their private yachts. And he went in there and was asking who owned the yachts. And they were invariably people connected to stock markets. He then went and wrote a book saying, where are the customers' yachts? Um, because invariably, the fund managers who manage money do incredibly well. They've got the benefits of scale and they do uh, pool people's funds together. They charge everybody a fee and they go off and invest the money on their behalf. And provided they continue to do well, they get more people into um, into the investments and they draw higher and higher fees. And many people in the investment industry do very well. Thank you very much. But tonight's discussion with Warren Ingram, who's a personal financial advisor, and executive director at Galileo Capital is the best way for your fund manager to add value to your money. Not theirs. To your money. Because that is why you give it to them to manage. You need them to make it grow, Warren Ingram. You're right, Bruce. And I think, uh, you know, we, we've kind of cottoned on to this, uh, to this mugs game of being an investor and, you know, and paying fortunes to fund managers and watching them drive around Cape Town in their sports cars and their fancy yachts and their mountain bikes and their artworks, etc. Uh, and, and so what we've noticed over time is that the fees have been coming down very significantly over a, over a decade or two. But, uh, but, but the debate then got to the point of saying, well, actually, you know, do these, do these fund managers add any value at all? And, and I think for, for quite some time, you know, the, the, the debate was strongly in favor of saying that they don't add value. And I think, uh, again, the, the world has turned a little bit. And, and I'm starting to, to think that, that, that as the world has turned and things have changed, they, they are starting to add value again and 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 all along though that 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 needs to be priced at the at the right way you know and not at the old old pricing but but certainly if we look at south africa as an example uh, you know it's very hard for me to argue that that i will give money to a fund manager to only invest in shares and believe that that fund manager will beat the 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 jse or the index over a long period of time and I think the reason is that the number of shares on the on the Johannesburg Stock Exchange that are actually investable are so small now and so well researched that actually you know uh, buying the index, paying very very little for it, w- would be a far better view than than paying a fund manager. So so I'd say there I, I can't see that I would get value out of a fund manager. But if I look at uh, paying a fund manager to to decide to allocate money to shares, to bonds, to property, and to cash, and mixing those assets correctly, uh, I think there is there is real merit in in giving fund managers money to do that. And I'm not saying that we we want them to to suddenly become uh, proficient market timers because because history's shown that no one can time markets, so so that's a mugs game. But what they can do is they can look at the stock market, for example, and they can say. Well, the, the stock market's relatively cheap now, and so we're going to reduce your exposure to cash. We're going to reduce your exposure to bonds, uh, maybe to property, and we're going to increase your allocation to shares. So, so doing it on a valuation basis, and 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 a, I don't want to say scientific because unfortunately investing is not pure science. There is an element of art to it as well. But but there there is a, a merit in, in paying fund managers to move assets from what what are clearly overpriced and expensive assets to, to the, the, the cheaper asset classes in, in, in the in the country and then very definitely globally. 
So, so I think the, the answer is that uh, that fund managers are are adding value, but but they're actually doing it in a different way than what they did in the past. In the past, we would have paid them because they we we believed they would have given us great performance, done much better than the the, the various indices they were trying to to perform against. Now, now I think they add a lot of value as risk managers, and and there there is real merit in in paying a fair fee to a fund manager to do that. And then now, there, the, here, here is the question, okay? Because there are a handful of fund managers who consistently outperform other fund managers, and sometimes they even quite consistently outperform the market. Um, and, and so we could then say, well, they're worth the money now. Not every fund manager is worth the same amount of money. So how do I decide how much my fund manager's contribution to protecting the value and growing the value of my money is worth? So, so the Warren Ingram soapbox says, uh, you know, you, you can't pay <laughs> this the performance not, I mean, this is this is scientific, right? Okay, because you can't sign investing isn't scientific, but this this is okay. Got it. I've got you. I'm making notes. <laughs> the, the, yeah, well, well I'll, I'll stay out my soapbox. So, so it's, it's fortunately an opinion, you know, and we and we know what what value we can give opinions. But, but, but my view is uh, that, that I think y- your your fund managers need to charge you an annual fee. In other words, they they can't say to you, "We're going to charge you a performance fee, where we're going to take a share of the of the growth that, that we that we've achieved uh, from your money over time." I think that performance fees are not necessarily fair to investors. But if a fund manager says I'm happy to charge you in the region of uh, 0.5% per year up to a maximum of, let's say, somewhere around 1% a year to manage your money. I, I think that's a, that's a very fair fee for, for, for the unit trust industry in particular, uh, because I think that it's very hard uh, for them still to, to charge, let's say, just a roundabout, which is the ideal. I mean, I think the, the only company I know in South Africa that's got that right is Outvest, in fact, where they'll say to you, you know, we'll, we'll charge you fixed random amount to, to manage your money. And, and I think that that is the way the industry uh, should go. But, but for now, while it's evolving, especially in South Africa, I think uh, 0.5 to 1% a year is a, is a good and fair fee. Uh, and, and if you're in the region of 2% a year or more, uh, it's time to look for a different product because you are you are paying too much, and the likelihood is that uh, your your fund manager is one of those with the expensive yachts and the the art and the mountain bikes, etc. I would think that the best performance fee that you could agree to pay is to pay the 0.5 to one percent. And if the fund manager does well, they draw more money into their funds and therefore they get paid more 0.5 to 1% of more pots of cash. Uh, their reward surely should be a volume uh, game because they are consistently outperforming and their incentive is to grow those volumes. I think that, uh, that that's right when, um, when, when the markets that they're operating in are very big because their opportunities to, to generate good growth are, are there. But in a small market like like the JSC, unfortunately, I think that their opportunities are limited. So, uh, you know, if the fund gets too big, the fund becomes, you know, a, a massive oil tanker that moves the, you know, moves around the the basin of the the yacht basin or the harbour and moves everything around just because it's so big on its own. And so, I think that that's that's the danger of a small market. So, so I think bigger markets, when you, especially global investing, no problem. You know, there, there's so many opportunities, so many different markets, shares, bonds, etc. That that, uh, that that's certainly the, the right way to go. But uh, but smaller markets, no, I'm not. I'm not so sure. 
I think the the other thing that's that's kind of happening globally, which is which is really interesting, is that there are some enormous companies that are that are doing very well, growing very well, that are choosing not to list on a stock exchange anymore. And so the opportunity for you and me, for example, to try and buy into those companies is close to zero. You know, unless we're you know worth tens of millions of dollars, and and they approach us and say, "Would you like?" You know, we'll give you. You know, because you've got all the money, we'll give you the chance. You know, uh, to to be one of the handfuls of investors in our funds or in our companies, uh, we we just don't get the opportunity. And and I think that's where where we're starting to see value again from from fund managers because those uh, you, you know some of the good fund managers are being offered the opportunity to invest in these private companies, and, and you know you and I can't do it. So so paying a fund manager to access the good private businesses. I think is a is a relatively uh, you know good opportunity to look at again you know at the right price at the fair fees etc. But but that's a new dynamic which which hasn't really been around for quite some time. You know it, in in the old days those were private equity funds for example and they were really specialised at at charging enormous fees. But but I think the the, the Unitrust world and the investment company world uh, has matured and and starting to look at those as as good opportunities again. So, so definitely, I think that that's a place that I would pay a fund manager to to give me opportunities that I can't find. But but for the rest, I'd still go into the index, uh, you know, for the efficient markets, and then look at fund managers to manage my risk and 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 be happy with the combination because I think that's really the secret in all of this. Thank you, Warren Ingram. More with him in a moment. A question from Richard. I've got four years to go before I turn 60. I'd like to retire at the age of 60. A few of my colleagues think it's a good idea to move my pension fund savings to a more conservative idea to reduce the risk of losing money just before I retire. Considering what happens to the markets last year when COVID-19 hit the world, I'm starting to think it's a good idea. What are your thoughts on this? That question to Warren in a moment. The Money Show with Bruce Whitfield is brought to you by APSA Corporate and Investment Banking. Offering world-class foreign exchange execution and hedging expertise. That's African Nacity. APSA is a registered FSP. The Money Show. Personal Finance with Warren Ingram. Richard wants to retire in the next four years, wants to de-risk that process. He's worried that there's another enormous fallout on markets and he gets caught short the day before he goes on retirement. What to do, Warren? I think it's a um, it, it's it's a it's a intuitive thing that, that Richard's asking. You know, get, getting to retirement, I want to protect the money I've, I've spent so long building up and and make sure that you know the, a stock market crash doesn't wipe out you know a third of it um, you know just as I enter retirement. And so, uh, on, on a human level and an intuitive level, uh, it it's, it makes sense. Uh, what you need to remember, Richard, is that you are going to live, you know, all things being equal, you're going to live at least for another 20 to 40 years. And, and so that's the, that's the part of the equation that a lot of people miss when they come to their, their retirement thinking around their, around their money is that they view retirement as an, as an absolute end and, and forgetting that, you know, it's actually just another phase of your investing career. And unfortunately, you know, ending is only, you know, on, on, on the day you stop breathing. And, and so I would say, uh, you know, look at, look at retirement uh, as, as a step, but, but that means that you're looking at how to manage cash flows. You're, you're looking at making sure that you've maximized your tax opportunities, all of those things. But, but to de-risk your money means that you're giving your, your capital 
less chance to continue to grow and less chance to to beat inflation and and that's really the thing you should be really worried about is you know the the, the way that inflation destroys the the buying power of your money so 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 definitely don't don't look at de-risking your 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 portfolio uh, completely. The only time I would do that, if I was if I was approaching retirement, would be if I had been taking too much risk of before then, and I wanted to get to the right sort of mix of risk. But but, but certainly, I think people going into retirement should should really have a bot as a minimum somewhere around sixty you know sixty five to seventy five percent of their investments in growth assets like like shares or property companies and the like. You know you know to go down to nothing in shares, I think is a real a real mistake, and unfortunately, that's what the you know the, the pension fund industry used to do a lot in, in the past. But but they have figured out that longevity is a real thing now, and and you know they need to plan for it correctly. So so you, you know, Richard, the only time that that you really take this seriously is is if you've got uh, you know some kind of known cash flow, you know some kind of big payment that you've got to pay that, and and you need to access some money uh, f- from your retirement funds to do that. But but beyond that. Understand that stock market uh, crashes are going to happen to you probably somewhere between every three to every seven years for the rest of your life, and and unfortunately, there's nothing you can do to predict them, and the best thing you can do is the, uh, ride them out when they happen, and make sure that you've always got the right mix of cash, bonds, property, and shares. You know the 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 jargon for that's the asset allocation. You have the right asset allocation, you can deal with these big moves. But uh, trying to time the markets by being, you know, too heavily in cash or too too heavily in shares, uh, unfortunately, you're probably going to get it perfectly wrong because that's what happens to the professionals and the amateurs alike. Uh, and so, you know, that that's a mugs game. It's not worth doing. Uh, and just uh, unfortunately, you know, volatility of of stock markets is a bit like the weather. You know, it's going to it's going to affect you one way or the other. Uh, and make sure that you you know you've got the right umbrella and you'll be okay. Yeah, and uh, I'm just impressed that he's think that he's capable of retiring or even considering retiring at the age of sixty. That's a, a, a an impressive goal reached, I think. What is a feeder fund? Let's wrap up with that. I found this term feeder fund the other day. Uh, this is the money I put away to buy pizza. But what is it in investment markets? It's an awful name, you know. It's a, a typical of the industry that come up with these bad names. So, so, so it, what it means is it's a way of taking rands and investing your rands into a into a local South African unit trust, and and what will happen is that that unit trust will invest all of its money uh, in, into a global fund of some description. It could be something that only invests in shares, or a balanced fund, or a global property fund, etc. Uh, and and then you, the 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 fund will then get the be- benefit of those global markets, whatever those markets do, whether they're rising or falling, plus also the the movement of the rand against those global currencies. So, for example, if you bought a feeder fund that purely invested in the American stock market, then then you would get the the benefit of the American stock market's growth in dollars, and and also then the the value of the dollar and the way that it moves against the rand. So when you wanted to take the money out of the feeder fund again in the future, you, you would get the money paid back to you in rands. So that it isn't a way to to send money out of the country, but it is a great way to diversify your portfolio on a very cost-effective way. So so I think feeder funds are awesome for people that want to save small amounts or, or a regular debit order. 